Welcome back to the Valkyrie Project podcast. I'm excited to be hosting Elizabeth Dersh today. She is a writer and influencer who has touched the lives of millions through her inspired written word and as part of the OGs and founding members of CrossFit headquarters. She has a gift for speaking to people that need to feel heard. We talked about some of her time as part of one of the largest fitness names in the industry today, her writing, and what it means to meet the barbell with intention and an open heart every single day. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I'm your host, Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. I'm doing well. It's so cool to hear your voice for the first time ever. <laughs> well, there you have it, right? Like I've I've always read your stuff in the written word, and now there's a voice associated. That's awesome. I'm, I'm an actual person. <laughs> yes, you're real, and in the flesh, sort of digitally. We're only recording the audio right now, okay? So, um, right. it's nice to have the video too, just so we can like have facial expressions and stuff, but. Yeah, and it and it does a, a big thing for um, connection. They find that uh, that's one of the things that if you can actually see someone, you'll uh, feel so much more connected to them than just hearing them. Uh, right. Yeah, I fully agree with that, especially with all the distractions of the modern times that you can get with, you know, just being on the cell phone and having other things to look at in your environment, for sure. Right. Yeah. Cool. Very different. Yeah, this, uh, this house was designed by this, designer and her fabulous husband they're like perfect people and then they were like we want to buy a house and we'd like to rent this i was like okay <laughs> uh thanks thanks for moving out <laughs> <laughs> that's like a mile from the beach less than a mile from the beach that's nice that's amazing we um in the last two years bought a place on the lake and it's just been earth shatteringly amazing to be on water even if we can't get in it or on it every day, like it's just so calming to be able to look out the window and see it. I love it. Yeah, nice, nice. I actually like lakes a lot better than the ocean, but I always end up living near the ocean. So go figure. <laughs> that's that's funny. I grew up in South Carolina, specifically in Charleston. So it's like, you know, man, I love the beach, but I'm nervous about property on the beach because hurricanes. So, <laughs> right? so the lake is a better choice for us oh, on the East sense. Coast. You know, when I lived on uh, on Kadena and Okinawa, uh, they don't put, uh, you know, they don't build houses on the water. They put all their industry on the water, so it survives. Like, yeah, the high ground is what's what's valuable there. It makes sense. So you were you were in Okinawa? Yeah, for four years we lived there. Oh um, wow! Yeah. How did awesome. you like that? It was fabulous, and you know, I because I I'd spent. Oh gosh, uh, six years as an Air Force officer, and then I had married someone who was an Air Force officer, and so then we were stationed, uh, we were in, at Beale at the time that I got out, and then we went to Okinawa for four years, and then uh, to Langley, Virginia, for three years, and then back out to Edwards Air Force Base in California for four years. Um, but loved Okinawa. It was absolutely fantastic. What a wonderful experience. When-ish, time frame-wise, were you there? Uh, 1996 to almost 2000. Oh, man. Okay, so you were 
probably just leaving as I was getting there. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Or not Okinawa, but Japan specifically. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was in the Navy. And at that point, my parents had split up. But basically, you know, he and my mom agreed that it would be this kind of lifetime opportunity for my little sister and I to go have an experience overseas, you know, while we were in middle school. So I went when I was like 15, 16 years old for a year in Yokosuka, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, nice. It was yeah. like, what a thanks. Thanks, Uncle Sam. Thanks, life. Thanks, you know. Yeah. You take things for granted. And looking back on it now, like, it was incredible to have the chance to go there and just live for a year and, and get that cultural experience. Like, uh, I remember coming back home and like being reinjected in, um, I said middle school before, but now that I think about it, it was actually high school. It was like my sophomore year. I remember reinjecting into my high school from previous in, you know, what at the time could have been called a small Southern town, but it's, it's grown significantly. Um, but some, you know, fairly traditional, um, perspectives on things. And I remember kids at my school being like, oh my God, your parents made you move to Japan for a year. And I was like, oh my God, I loved it. I like, I hope you get to do something like that. Like, I hope you get out of here. Like, this is a cool town, but it just was so eye-opening, you know, and and really now that I've been in the military for a while and, and been places, it's like, there's so much that you get access to that you'd never would have done. Right, right. And it's amazing that people don't do that or that they also think that, um, I think it's different when you live somewhere as opposed to just vacation. You know, it's just not the same thing. And, and I think also what's important is that your perspective when you come back to America is changed and you, you have a a broader perspective that you, you can't ever really shrink again to the, in the same way. I don't think you could be possibly any more accurate with that. Um, I've had some deployment experiences that, you know, upon coming home, I felt like I was a different person because it was such a close living experience with people that had so much less, but were somehow still just glowing from the inside with conviction and belief and commitment to what they thought was right and what they were fighting for. Um, And it made me, you know, really grateful that there are people out there like that all over the world, but then coming back home and, and realizing the abundance we have in this country, right? you know, yeah. politics and all that stuff aside, like, man, it's, this is a really bountiful place full of opportunity. Oh yeah. And then you come back and, and you also, I'm sure this happens to you. You have the, the viewpoint, like, what are you all complaining about? Uh, yeah. And you have nothing yes. to complain about and how is it so important to you? It's really not. Yeah. And, but that makes it hard too, because like, you don't want to be you don't want to be insensitive and tell people, mm-hmm. well, like that thing you're fussing over is so unimportant. Let me tell you what people, it's like, te- you know, like telling your children, well, people are starving in China, but it's, well, sometimes it's true. And, um, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be the jerk that's like that thing that you care about that you're getting emotional over is insignificant compared to what I've seen and experienced. But um, right, right. No, you don't want to be that person. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's a balance. I'm I'm grateful that my my kids in particular will say to me and have said to me since some time in the beginning of their teenage years, if I would complain about something and and one of them would say, oh, life's so hard for me and nobody else. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and no matter what you're complaining about, uh, it's short right there. Yep, you're right. Okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Just, you know, to give some, some background to the listeners, a couple things that I knew about you in my early days of, you know, discovering my fitness journey, found this thing called CrossFit and started seeing people posting on what was at the time sort of still new and growing social media, um, posting all these inspirational, like heart piercing quotes that just make you want to go raw, like go to the gym and pick up heavy shit and be like, oh, you have no excuse. This life is mine to seize today, right now. And it was like always Elizabeth Darch quote, like always, always, always. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this Elizabeth, she's got something going on. Um, and I remember doing a little research just to figure out, you know, what's up with this lady? And it just, you know, turned out that you had this incredible blog um, that you had been writing for a while. And um, in general, just, you know, you had this talent for communicating with people on a level that was, you know, inspiring in a lot of ways, like gritty and not like, not like this polished stone, like perfectly packaged quote that you see sometimes on like Instagram and Facebook is like, I'm going to give you a dose of reality, but also with a dose of love, like you can do this. And um, so that's kind of how I found you. Um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you, like your background and your work and, and how you got into writing. Okay. Um, well, thank you for, for all those <laughs> kind words to begin with. That's lovely. Not um, to make it awkward uh, with my personal experience about your life. But <laughs> right. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all, all good. And I like that, a dose of reality with a dose of love, because I think both things are, are really important. And when we veer into one or the other, that's when life gets a little harder um, when it doesn't have to be. Because as long as we bring that reality and that love at the same time, uh, it's really that mix that's 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 so fantastic. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I love the the gym so much. I love the barbell so much because it's it's both. Um, but and I love community. So to answer your question though, before we get into anything deep, uh, 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 how I came to writing? Well, I, I I was an English major. I've written ever since I was. Uh, uh, about five years old. And in oh, fact, wow. I, I was, I was just uh, laughing the other day because I, I found myself telling people that uh, the, the closer I get to uh, how I was at the age of seven, the happier I am. And um, I pretty much wear, well, I'm wearing a hoodie right now that's pretty much uh, uh, my uniform now uh, when I'm not at work. But what I did back then, I rode my bike. I ran around without my shirt on. I wear shirts now, but I rode my shirt around, <laughs> rode my bike. So you have to be like socially yeah, acceptable so you don't get arrested and shit. Yeah. If that matters. And it, that, that's important. <laughs> you know, my kids are, are really glad about that. And, um, and I wrote. And so then I was an English major in college and graduated from college and did what you would think that an English major would do. I became an aircraft maintenance officer in the Air Force. <laughs> you and I have similar stories in that sense, but yeah, go on. I was like, "All right, can you guys teach me?" They were like, "Hey, we're all, we're only taking pilots and uh, aircraft maintainers right now." And I was like, "All right, I'm not that pilot thing's not my thing. Uh, terrible vision, but um, hey, I can do whatever you teach me." And so then I became an aircraft maintenance officer on fighter jets and uh, F-15E, and then continued on uh, and continued to write. 
and then found myself uh, opening one of the early CrossFit gyms, uh, the 250th CrossFit gym, CrossFit Watertown, Man. in 2007. Oh, and so cool. um, yeah, and, I'm just and, reminiscing because that like the next year is when I started, and I I look back on those days now like I'm the crotchety old G. The like, well, back <laughs> when CrossFit was starting, it was impressive for a woman to put 185 pounds over her head, <laughs> and now it's like if you're not busting 215, you're not going to the games. Like right. crazy, right? And when you think about it, when when I joined CrossFit, we had had one game so far. And the second, I got hired right before the second games. I got hired by HQ, CrossFit HQ. And um, it was like a couple of weeks before, two weeks before. And I didn't go to the games because I had a barbecue to go to and, you know, whatever. <laughs> At you the know? time, it was like this low key thing. And now they're doing it in arenas with tens of thousands of people. Right. Well, in 2008, a couple of weeks after the games, I was in Greg Glassman's house in his garage. And uh, the door, garage door opened up and Dave Castro came walking in. Hey, hi, how are you? You know, that's how I met him. And we had a meeting about how to um, have regionals. Greg came from Costco with two maps that he had bought at Costco. We tacked them up on the wall. <laughs> Me and maybe five, six, seven other people. Uh, Lauren, who was the co-founder, was was not even in the room. She was uh, grilling some steaks and making some Caesar salad. And we, uh, Greg said, let's figure out how to divide up the world. And we're going to have this thing called regionals. We we're like, what's that? And then he said, and listen, this is what we're going to do. And then he said this, and this is why it's so funny that you said arenas, is that he said, if we ever end up in a stadium, every person in this room has screwed up. And a couple of years later, we were in a stadium. <laughs> mm. Sometimes things take off and yeah, and there it is. But so I owned an early CrossFit gym, kept writing like crazy. was writing my blog. One day the phone rang, Greg Glassman offered me a job. I didn't even know him. And I'd met him one time and I uh, began writing the affiliate blog for CrossFit. Then I began writing, then uh, I began running the affiliate program for CrossFit globally. Then uh, I saw Facebook start to take off in 2008. I stood on the mm -hmm. back of an airplane and watched uh, all the people who were having to be told again and again to shut their devices down. And I looked at what screens they were on and they were all on Facebook. Yep, and I, I knew that Facebook that. was going to be it. And then I took, a, took CrossFit into Facebook and I kept writing for uh, on my own because there was this need uh, to urge people on in a way that no one else was speaking to them mm -hmm. in that way, in this personal way that I wanted to read myself and I couldn't find it anywhere. And occasionally somebody would show up and they would write this great blog post about barbells and heavy weights and how, how it made them feel and how they could go on because they had something they could do. And then that person would disappear again. And I just kept writing. And I, I knew I was hitting some vein that of what people needed. Because one day a, a woman um, walked into uh, my gym. She was visiting from another gym. And she opened up her book. And in the back of her book, and this is still 2008, late 2008, early 2009. And in the back of her workout notebook, she had a bunch of quotes. 
and they were mine. And there was a, a she had printed out one of my blog posts. Did that there. give you goosebumps or did you panic a little? <laughs> well, I was just kind of like, oh, just interesting. Like, you know. That's awesome. And and she was like, you have no idea. She said, um, some days I don't know what to do. She goes, and recently my father died and I didn't know what to do. And I was so depressed. And I was at home just crying and upset. And you wrote a blog post that said, get to the gym. It's only going to get better if you get to the gym. She goes, and I got to the gym and it got better. And it started to get better. I was like, wow. And then somebody else came in and said, uh, into my gym, uh, like six months later. I mean, I was getting all these emails. Uh, at one point, I remember a man from Ohio wrote to me and he said, uh, you don't know me, but I read your blog every, every time, every day. And if you, please don't stop because if you stop, there'd be a very sad old man in Ohio. Oh my God. <laughs> and then somebody else came in and said, uh, I saw a woman wearing a, a quote on a shirt, one of your quotes on her shirt. And I said, uh, oh, I don't sell any shirts, you know? And they said, no, she had a white t-shirt and in marker, she had written different quotes of yours all over her shirt. And I was like, oh, I, I can't stop now. <laughs> no, no, that's incredible. And it's really, I mean, I got it. I would imagine it's got to be humbling to, you know, be in that position and have people come to you and, and just express like what a personal relationship they have with, you know, your words speaking to them. And yeah, just... uh, sometimes it's a little surreal and sometimes uh, it makes sense to me in that I, I think these are the kinds of things that I want to hear. And so uh, my hope is always when, when I was a kid growing up and I would be troubled by something, I would put on uh, Springsteen and Springsteen would speak <laughs> to me in yeah. a way that I was like, how does he know? How does he know what I'm thinking? How can he even mm -hmm. say those things? And then I always wanted to do that for other people. And so if whatever Springsteen did for me, I could turn around and do for other people. I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of a wild world that we're able to do that sort of yeah. thing. Here came the internet to make it even easier because I don't play an instrument. Yeah, no, like, and, and the timing was impeccable that, you know, you were close to this community that really needed your words at a time when a platform like the internet was taking off and has just become this unfathomable entity of information, whether that be good, bad, or otherwise. Right. And and think about it. Like when people, you know, I, I people may like CrossFit, they may not. I don't always CrossFit. Now I power lift a lot and I need to want to get back into a little bit more CrossFit. But um, what happens is that if CrossFit doesn't come along and popularize women strength and fitness in the way that CrossFit does it and did it back then, particularly in the early years, a lot of what we see right now would be very different. I belong to a, a strength gym right now and there are all these women, they have these competitions, you know, it's women's deadlift only competition. It's this, is that, all these powerlifting competitions and they're packed on Saturdays. And even for if it's the smallest women's deadlift only competition and the place is packed and without CrossFit that doesn't happen because mm -hmm. people didn't think in those terms they didn't think about the about the barbell they didn't think about bumpers you used to have to order in 2008 you had to order bumpers from like one place in California and there was it was just totally different people didn't make rings you know I mean yeah it's, everywhere. it's become so commonplace now that you know you 
I sometimes take for granted and forget what it was like, but I was kind of coming into my own as an adult around that time. And uh, it's funny because, you know, even though this is the Valkyrie Project podcast and our and our training is not CrossFit, it's functional with an emphasis on, you know, tactical performance. So much of our conversation comes back to CrossFit because of how much what they did changed the entire industry irreversibly and in many ways in, in very good ways. Um, well, and that and, was our goal. And yeah. that's what's wild. Like when I think yeah. about it, we, we were on calls or like five of us on the call in 2000 and arguing about, you know, what direction the company should go in, all sorts of things. And I still remember we talked about how we didn't care if people called it, crossed it. We just wanted to make sure that the training was in every gym for people who wanted it. Mm -hmm. And our goal was to disrupt the industry and to make it so that people paid attention to functional fitness. And it wasn't about it being crossed that and that succeeded. Yeah. Absolutely, with flying colors. And I think that just, you know, kind of tying together that particular fitness revolution with, you know, your your personal experience and work of, you know, the written word and, and just kind of making this poetic connection between the struggle in life and the struggle with the barbell. I can remember distinctly many occasions where, I mean, I, I started doing it so I could get ready for basic training for the Army because I was essentially a human noodle. <laughs> like I was like skinny fat, whatever you call it, like squishy. And I could run for days and run pretty fast because I did track and cross country in high school. But I could not do more than one or two standard army push-ups. Sit-ups were okay. It was like, you know, I don't want to go to this training and survive. I want to crush it on day one. So I found CrossFit probably six months before I went to basic training. And I remember on the days that I had the hardest workouts, um, in the North Carolina humid heat, like oh, yeah. sweating buckets and feeling sorry for myself. I would, ha- I had this mantra in my head, like, how do you expect to lead, to lead a platoon if you can't finish this workout? How do you expect to this? And it was like, not so much like self-deprecating and mean, but like, let's be real about what's actually hard. You can keep doing this. And it was incredible to have that kind of energy for the first time in my life, a, a significant piece of evidence that said like, you can be strong. You can be athletic. Like I kind of, you know, knew I could be athletic from running in high school, mm-hmm. but finding, I guess you could say this, finding the barbell, like finding strength in just literal strength training and and watching other people around me have that experience and just come in every day. And it was like there was a small miracle every couple days because someone would do their first, you know, proper push up or their first pull up or whatever. And it was just entirely earth shattering. And I, I remember that excitement. And it was it was, a, it was a really incredible thing that you guys brought to the world. So thanks for that. Oh, well, you know, hey, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of wild, though, like what you can learn from from physical pursuits, because we tend to try in our society to be like, oh, well, you know, we're, we can have this mental thing and then we have this physical thing. But it's also tied together. We are not separate we don't have separate parts of our being. It all flows together. And uh, the fact that we can find uh, uh, strength, perseverance, resilience through a workout that can cross into our personal lives and our professional lives is absolutely fantastic. And it it just blows my mind that we have to kind of introduce this concept again and again and again. But 
I try to think that, you know what, we have to do that with every concept that works. Love, we have to think about again and again and again, because it's complex. But, you know, I, I think back to if I had had CrossFit when I was, before I went to OTS, it would have blown my mind because all I had was running, you know, you'd go to some gym, but you didn't really know what to do. Um, and I can remember being at officer training school and going through the confidence course, you know, the obstacle course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they had this thing and, and it was, if you at all got uh, uh, your uh, wet at all, you had to change from your BDUs into your squadron sweats because it's it's officer training school in the air force right so you're going to change into your your royal blue sweats if you get wet at all in any of the obstacles and i got down to the end and i was uh hand over hand on the monkey bars over the the moat and all the women are cheering because they're like she's gonna make it nobody's made it yet I'm grunting my way through it. I make it all the way over and I drop down and everybody's like, yeah, because finally here's one woman who's made it through and is not soaking wet from all the water obstacles. And they tell me, well, actually you have to change uh, your pants to your, your sweatpants. And I'm like, why? They're like, because from the knee down, you dragged it on the rope swing like you know four obstacles earlier i didn't oh my get God. my feet totally up but i made so it this across. uniform changing thing was kind of like a point of shame it was yeah it was it wasn't yeah. just oh you're wet and cold let's make you more comfortable it was let's show everyone that you didn't complete the obstacle course completely. that was exactly it and all uh, the women were so angry because it was warm it was texas and it was warm but all the women were so angry because they were like finally somebody made it through but yeah. you know now, yeah. I'm, you know, if I had had, boy, but I wouldn't have done that. If I had had CrossFit, I would have picked my feet up, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think, you know, speaking from the perspective of what the Valkyrie Project is trying to do, I think it's really exciting that scenarios like that are becoming less common because yeah. women are finding ways to become fit earlier on in their careers and really kind of embracing that confidence that's required to really do well at those things. And I mean, I remember, you know, growing up with girls that like had families that got them into sports and stuff. And so they kind of found that confidence and athleticism early on. Uh, but for for a lot of women, I think that join the military, uh, they don't necessarily have that background. It's kind of like, well, this is a good choice, and I'll make it work. Um, but it's it's inspiring to me to see that people are seeking that out sooner and sooner and it's becoming less rare to see a woman crush physical performance events in the military and right and i think Which that's the right fantastic. direction yeah because we've always had people that have the right heart you know they've yeah. always been there and, and and because you know maybe if you're not taught to go and and think oh you know so many women were raised with the idea oh, i can't do a pull-up guess what you can you just didn't spend enough time on your lats yet now we're going to teach you how to do right it. You know, so it's so fantastic. And, and I'm so thrilled that uh, the generation rising right now is just like, what? What used to happen? We're like, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran into a, a general the other day who was uh, teaching a, a program at the place that I work now, 1440 Multiversity. And she, we stopped and talked, and she's a retired Air Force general. And, uh, you know, just to 
talk to those sorts of figures who, uh, you know, busted through all sorts of BS back then so that now things are a little bit easier. It's, um, there's an old saying by the writer George Sand, uh, and she said uh, something to the effect of, if I succeed or not, it does not greatly matter for I will have paved the way for other women. And that's pretty much it. You know, it's opening those doors, paving the way and saying, hey, you know what? And that's why I, I love to be able to say, if I can do it, anybody else can. And then if people are like, well, you know, well, you're strong. I'm like, come on, you know, I'm, I'm also no spring chicken. So, you know, I mean, that's what every year, if you can continue to try to get stronger and, and best whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. doing. I used to ride my bike in the, my mountain bike in the, uh, in the wilderness outside of uh, Edwards Air Force Base, California. She was just out there in the high desert, just going for, you know, and I would just race and try to hit my own markers faster each day, uh, you know, by myself, looking at my watch as I'm speeding around some sandy corner, uh, you know, just to see if I could do it better, if I could do it more, just to test myself. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. And of all the years I spent coaching, you know, on that side of the house and now doing this, it's been, you know, there, there are common patterns that emerge. And one of them is, you know, when people have an idea of where they want to be and what their goals are, but they, they feel that, you know, the distance between where they are now and where they want to be is some kind of insurmountable goal. And it's like, people say things like, um, well, it's easy for you to say you're fit already, whatever. Well, I had to eat this elephant one bite at a time over the last decade exactly. plus, you know, and so this is, um, it's a long-term commitment that, you know, maybe in the moment you don't realize is a long-term thing. And if sometimes if you frame it that way, people get overwhelmed and it's, and it becomes a question of day by day, how are we walking towards those goals? But, um, one of my, exactly. one of my favorite, uh, social media buddies is a command sergeant major in the army and he can be having the worst possible day and he will show up at the gym at like 9 p.m and do his workout and he's always posting quotes that are similar but one of the favorites that i've seen lately is um the success is not owned it's rented but the rent is due every day so right. success is not this end state goal where there's a stop sign and you're done it's you're putting in that investment every day, whether it's he easy, hard, or neutral, just sometimes blank, like blankly making yourself be a robot and go do the thing that you don't feel like doing. And every time I see him post something, I'm like, yeah, I need to try a little harder today. <laughs> right, right, it reminds right. me that but, I get lazy. But it, it's so it's true, though. So uh, two things come to mind, one being that in um, Lithuanian, there's a, a phrase, and I believe it's pronounced pamaju, which basically means little by little. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it is, pamaju, every day, little by little, that you get a little bit better. And it's also, then the other part is showing up. Mm -hmm. And we think it's so easy to not show up because showing up is difficult. But sometimes you just show up and do whatever you can. And um, when I used to coach a 6 a.m. class and uh, we would just say, just keep moving. Some people were older, some people were injured. And we had one guy, Pete, who if his hoodie was up, you don't speak to Pete. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> once, once he takes the hoodie down, you're allowed to talk to him. But everybody for, in that for Pete's sake, class, don't no. talk to him when his hood's up. <laughs> That's amazing. He just you weren't gonna do that. And once the hood came down, he was the friendliest man. But you know, you just have to keep moving, and you have to be smart. So you know, and particularly so that you don't make yourself be more injured. You don't prolong an injury. And you have to figure out, okay, so my goal today, I mean, and this happens to all of us, right? We get caught up in this idea of, oh, it's got to go harder, faster, better, more all the time. And I can remember one time going to start a workout and, and the height of my CrossFit days and my coach who had been in CrossFit even longer than I had been. And he's Jason, he stopped me and he said, why aren't you modifying? Are you talking about workout? Jason Kalipa? No, actually, I was going to throw out a little, a little something for the listeners if it was. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, not him. It was, it was <laughs> somebody even longer than him. Although I do remember Jason Kalipa. Okay, so I'm going to deviate just for a second. Jason Kalipa, after he won the CrossFit Games, I uh, had said to, I wasn't even on the media staff. I was just the blogger and for the affiliates. And I said to them, have you done an exit interview for that guy who just won the games? And they were like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, okay, so somebody should interview him. So I had to call Jason Kalipa and interview him. And he was so cute. He was just like, you know, I'm thinking about opening a gym. Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> You're literally the fittest man on planet Earth. I think you should do that. You should open a gym. I was like, yeah, I think, Jason, that's a good idea. Why don't you do that? That's amazing. Sorry, I totally sidetracked us. No, that's, that's all right. But, you know, but no, so when I was doing this workout, though, and I wasn't going to modify it, and my my uh, coach said to me, he was like, uh, Elizabeth, the goal of the workout today is not a PR. The goal is that we keep you healthy mm -hmm. and get you a little fitter. And I was like, oh, and he's like, so why don't you modify that? Because I know that you have a shoulder issue right now. And I was like, yeah, you're totally right. So sometimes you got to, and that's the hard part, right? Because sometimes you you, you don't want to back off because you're afraid you're being weak and that your mind is letting you rule your body in a way that it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And But sometimes you have to back off because of the fact that your body is telling you pain is an indicator that you need to pay attention to something and see whether it warrants, you know, that you're, you're, stopping or that you're modifying or that you're changing the work. Right. And that's the hard point. Yeah. And, and as much as I, um, you know, have just admiration and owe so much of, you know, who I am today to like the early days I spent doing CrossFit, um, you know, there are, there are different gym personalities and gym cultures everywhere you go. And it runs the gamut in such a vast and surprising way of in the past, I had been a member of a number of different gyms. And in some, the culture was, you know, just show up today and just give it what you have today. Maybe you'll have more in the tank tomorrow and that's fine. And there were other gyms where it was like, you know, if you're not tacking on as much weight as humanly possible and if you don't look like you're dying at the end, you didn't try hard enough. Um, and some gyms that were kind of, you know, somewhere in the in between, just depending on who was coaching the class. Um, but especially, you know, in the conversation about culture and you know how much our community that we spend the most time with has the ability to influence us i think there's um this direction that the military in general is going where you know because of the onset of all these different fitness movements and, and even more recently including things like you know orange theory um that just kind of provide more options for people 
I think we're finally starting to get in a direction in the year 2019 where everyone in the military is not saying you have to be vomiting at the end of your workout or you didn't do it enough or, you know, everyone's favorite annoying tactic of saying, well, we're going to train this event to time and not to standard. So the rules say that PT is from 0630 to 0730 and everyone has to be moving the whole time and look like they're dying by the end. And if they're, if they don't, if they're not, we haven't achieved, you know, what we should have achieved today for PT. Um, so I remember like adamantly like taking my platoon to, you know, abandoned parking lots where no one in higher squadron leadership could see us. And I'd be like, <laughs> we're just going to warm up and, you know, we're going to do appropriate warm up stuff. We're going to have a, a challenging workout for 20 minutes and we're stretch and go home. It hasn't been an hour, ma'am. Are you complaining right now for real? Like, this is a hard 20 minutes. Like, let's just get it in. And, right. you know, so I think we're moving away from that. And generally, the military is, is getting better as these other um, fitness options are facilitating how people train. Well, and that's smart because, yeah, because you should really look at what's the purpose of the workout. Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? And and, and if you're doing something just for the sake of doing it so you throw up that's really a bad reason you know um i can remember i was being interviewed at some point i think it was by the atlantic and they they had this question like they're like you know you work for crossfit and uh you know why would anybody want to work out until they throw up and i was like that's not the point of it and i've never thrown up from a workout (laughs) and they and people would say to me like you've never thrown up from a workout, then you're not a real CrossFitter. I'm like, I didn't throw up in a fighter jet. What's, what, what makes you think I'm going to throw right. up from a workout? Like it just doesn't happen, yeah. you know? And I think that, that what I've come close a couple of times. Uh, but I think that what happens is that we get this idea that the point is to throw up. No, the point is to find that edge and go over it. And to figure out how to live in that spot where you you think that you're about to, to veer off the rails and how to control yourself when you're in that moment. Um, it's not about about being totally splayed out with, mm-hmm. with you coming out of your mouth. It's about getting to finding out. It's like, again, I'm going to quote Springsteen again. Tonight I'm going to be on that hill with everything I got. You know, you're trying to figure out where's the edge of me? What do I have versus the next person? What is this that makes me who I am? And how far can I go until I can go no farther? And then you can usually find a little bit more. Yep. Just like my tank top says that my mother-in-law bought for me. That has, <laughs> I'll give everything I have and then I will give. I will find more within myself. It's an amazing quote. By yeah, somebody good, so the immaculate Elizabeth Darch, everyone. Um, yeah, like, and I've really enjoyed playing with this in our VP programming too. just kind of transitioning myself out of like more of like a CrossFit competitor profile into I just want to be good at my job right now, and I don't have to do muscle ups, for example, in order to do that. So, tweaking things, how do we make this? How do we make functional? fitness for tactical athletes you know how do we help people perform better and i've enjoyed using the rpe technique the Uh rate of perceived exertion um and it's been interesting sometimes too to have you know really incredible female athletes that are just abnormally committed people that just 
I have an athlete and she knows who she is because she'll listen to this and be like, oh, Meg's talking about me. This woman has been deployed for a year and literally has never missed a workout. Ever. She makes them up if she has to, like, have a weird schedule adjustment. But even the active rest day, she does them religiously. But some of these, you know, hard, you know, driven, committed women, they're also sometimes the types that can get caught into a, a loop of, like, everything's all out all the time. And it's taken, you know, an effort to be like, you know, if it says... 70% RPE, that kind of means like, well, we want your heart rate up, but you shouldn't be dying and falling off the air bike. Like you should be able to repeat this and sustain it for a while. Right. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I like RPE because you can uh, adjust it as to how it it feels to you. Now, I was reading somebody uh, yesterday who was complaining about RPE, said it was emotions based. And I was like, it's not emotions-based, and you're doing it wrong if it's emotions-based. It should just be, you know, uh, and yes, it's going to vary from day to day, but who you are varies from day to day. How your body is feeling varies from day to day, and for women particularly. And, of course, this was a guy talking about it because for women particularly, uh, you know, where you are in your cycle is going to change so many things about mm-hmm. how you perform. And it, it's something that we need to take into account. Yeah. And it's a really great tool for nothing in humandom is ever going to be objective. I hate when people say things like, we're going to take a look at this problem objectively. I'm like, no, you're not. You got a human brain between your ears and it's subjective <laughs> because you have your life lens that you earned growing up and, you know, you see the world a certain way. And that's, it's just how it is. Accept it, right? Um, but I think, you know, something like RPE or like a tool that people can use to self-modulate tells them a little more about this is how it should feel so that it's, you know, occasionally it's appropriate to take things a little more slowly if you need more time to rest, recover, and other days. Whatever feels like, you know, gas pedal to the floor for you, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get some lactic training in here. We're going to intentionally spike your heart rate, let's get after it kind of thing. Um, And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong, I think, with um, people using that self-perception to get through things. Because like you said, we we have to do that on a day-to-day basis anyway. And that kind of transitions me a little actually to what I wanted to ask you about next. From what I understand, you've done some work with people on the level of, I don't know if I'm using the right term, but maybe life coaching or, or counseling and you've got a large breadth of experience, obviously, coaching and mentoring people. Um, I'm interested to hear about, you know, what you've seen over the years in terms of how exercise and just general physical movement has gotten people through difficulties in terms of trauma and anxiety. Because, you know, specifically for our listeners that are female military athletes, in a lot of ways, exercise is often like this thing that no one wants to do, but they have to because a person paying them says you have to, you know, run this distance in this time, whatever. But we kind of lose sight sometimes of how therapeutic it can be. Right. And, and I think that, uh, so I call it mindset coaching, because it's just a matter of using one more tool, mm-hmm. a massive tool that we forget. And, and that it is movement. And I think that it was in uh, uh, one of my books I, um, that I talk about, uh, particularly, I think it's at the end of my first book, Live Like That, in the essay where I talk about how once we put our bodies in motion, 
what we can do is actually uh, we move this, the sky itself. We move the gray clouds to find the blue sky. That the blue sky was there all the time. That's like a, a, a Buddhist concept anyhow that I found out later. Oh, cool. <laughs> but that, that the blue sky is there, but it's just we see the gray clouds in front of it and we think the blue sky isn't there but that we think that we can think ourselves out of things. And, and right now where I work sometimes, uh, people are not as um, physically oriented to, to working out. I'm, I'm an anomaly where I work right now that I love the barbell and I, and I have all of this. And they, they are more like yoga or they're gonna run or maybe they're gonna take a class somewhere. And, and that's fine for them. They're in a different space than what I've been in before. But what happens is that we all have to find our way to move our bodies in that way because once we get in motion, other things get in motion. We see this throughout our, our lives in every which way. In our jobs, we, if we get in motion in one thing, we get in a good groove, all of a sudden there are three more opportunities and two more. And, you know, all this stuff is coming towards you. And, and in life, it's the same thing. You know, you, you break up with somebody and you think, oh, my life's over. And then you work on yourself and all of a sudden you're so happy. And all of a sudden all these other people are coming at you and everybody wants to, to, to have part of your time. And now somebody wants to date you and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Uh, so, hey, girl, can I get those digits? You're glowing and I'm not sure why. <laughs> you know, so all of this goes on. So it's it's putting ourselves in motion just a little bit helps in every other way. And now that we know all we do about dopamine and about how our devices were were addicted to our devices, particularly the phone more so than the any anything else, because the phone has just this grasp on us now. And um, it's again those, you know, you're getting those dopamine hits. And you could get those dopamine hits from from Facebook, sure, but uh, that's really not going to do much for you. You know? Yeah, and it's a it's a <laughs> false yeah, it's a, it's a false hit that doesn't really yield anything concrete. And I found that, you know, people say sometimes that if you spend a lot of time on social media, you often make yourself feel worse if you are already in a bad mood, because then you start comparing, you know, your life to other people's lives and identifying places where I wish I could get out and travel more. All my friends are posting pictures of them in cool places and, you know, in happy relationships or whatever the case may be. Like, it's... It's such a false and just entirely fabricated feedback loop that really doesn't that really doesn't do anything for you. I mean, unless unless you're, you know, able to almost purely use social media just as a way to communicate with people you care about. You know, yeah, it can be a real, real head trip. And I think that that, uh, you know, early on when social media has started to explode and um uh, it, when it came to Facebook, what I did was at, at first I restricted everybody to um, somebody who had been in the military, all my connections where I had friends were somebody who I'd been in the military with, I had gone to school with, or who was a CrossFit affiliate owner. So that I created this red rope early. And then I started to let people in and out, whatever. And then I opened up to followers. But throughout the whole thing, um, I determined that uh, I, I've worn out many a delete key on my keyboard because I don't post something unless it could help someone somehow. And uh, I still tried to do that in my writing, uh, whether I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on uh, uh, my blog, unless it can somehow help somebody else, I usually delete it. And because it, that's all I'm interested in doing at this point. And I had someone write to me the other day, a friend, an old time military friend of mine who said, 
and sent me a message and said, uh, you know, how do you do it? Are you actually really happy and you're writing about things that have happened before in order to help people? And I was like, yeah, actually, I'm really happy. <laughs> Are you just like a big liar getting on social media? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I was like, I am on my blog post. You know, she had seen the the post that I made recently about, you know, when, when you hit the point of no more. Yeah. And but I, it was just something that I was like, you know, yeah, no, that's that's that point. And it, it didn't mean it was happening in my, my life right now, but it meant that I, I knew what that point was. And whenever I write something for my blog, I, I always imagine that, you know, there's somebody getting up in the morning and, uh, you know, there's a woman getting up and it's five in the morning and life's pretty rough and, and she feels pretty beat up and she's still a little tired, but she's got that cup of coffee and the, and the house is dark. And she's got that one light on and she's at that kitchen table and she needs something to help her get through the day. And that's what I'm trying to, to, to do is just give people something through my books, through my blog posts, through my social media, something that they can look at and go, yeah, you know what? I can keep going. Yeah. Somebody else knows what it's like. I get it. Uh, uh, there's an old Maria McKee song called uh, uh, God help me. Am I the only one who ever felt this way? And that's what I think all of art is, whether it's sculpture, painting, writing, music. It's somebody saying, am I the only one who ever felt this way? And there are a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I feel that way too. And, and that's why I try to remember that that's the good part about social media, mm -hmm. that we can reach each other and say, yeah, no, I feel that way too. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel. Um, and that's the power of it. It's just that like, uh, you know, we have this big new machine. And when you think about it, because it's, I think Facebook reminded me yesterday, uh, they're like, it's your 12th or 13th anniversary of Facebook. And I was like, whoa, it's been that long. But when you think about it, it's less than 20 years old. That's really kind of a new technology that yeah. we're still, it's like the car being 20 years old and we're still figuring out how to work the gas and the brake and not hit each other. Uh, and we got a lot still to figure out, but the possibilities are enormous because people can say, yeah, I feel that way and I'm not so alone and I can go on. And, um, and, th and that's the same way I feel in the gym. Like when I'm not hitting something right and I'm, I'm struggling with something and, and, you know, some guy with a beard usually comes over and says like, Hey, you know, have you thought about this or, Hey, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's one of my buds. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, all that I need to do is, you know, pull back a little bit on that and all of a sudden, boom, something works. Do you think the beard contributes to the sage wisdom? I think it gives the appearance <laughs> that there's more wisdom than, than there really is. The beard is like a, yeah. you're like, oh, well, I'm going to pay attention. It's a guy with a beard. <laughs> right. And and women don't have that option except for maybe drastic haircuts. Like, I can't like just decide to grow my wings one day and be like, you should listen to me because this is instant credibility. I have wings right now. Like. Speaking of drastic haircuts, I have like a high and tight right now because my barber yesterday, all of a sudden I was like, just trim it up. And all of a sudden I was like, what's on the ground? All my hair. <laughs> no, I think it looks good. You gotta, oh, you have volume that some women would kill for. Oh, the volume yeah, is the, good. The pearl on top. But yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, I think that, you know, the gym's a funny thing, right? Because you see a lot of bad habits mm -hmm. and you can't say anything and right you don't if want you're not an employee or a coach there it's like where's that fine line 
Yeah. Yeah. And so you got to look away a lot, but sometimes, you know, uh, somebody will ask you a question. You're like, well, I'll try this. And then they're like, whoa, that really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try not to be a know-it-all because I figure if you, if you're nosy in the gym like that and you, you try to be a know-it-all, it, it would be like if you were in the supermarket and you were walking around, like, what do you got in your cart? Like, you shouldn't eat that. You don't need that Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Have a zucchini. Oh man. No, I know exactly what you mean. I've, there's been so many moments where I've wanted to say something and been like, you know, it's, it's not my place. And I genuinely just, I find it frustrating when people approach me or they don't so so much anymore, but, um, earlier on, especially like even after I, you know, started coaching, like I'd, I'd have people come up to me and just say things just kind of random, you know, with my, earbuds in and my obvious you know rbf on my face like i don't want to be approached and people like oh do you realize that your heels are coming off the floor when you do that power clean like well it's called a power movement for a reason but i just (laughs) it's i've spent so long i feel like now in this game that like i only trust coaches that i know right if you're going to come up and talk to me like hi i'm meg what are your credentials i you know otherwise i don't want to hear it so yeah, it's, exactly. It's a weird dynamic, but people, you know, often just are trying to be friendly and helpful. Or, you know, if I'm carrying a 45 pound plate in each hand, and you know, a man comes up and is like, "Do you want some help with that? You need some help?" I'm like, "Do I fucking look like I need help? No, <laughs> but I can't be a jerk because you know, maybe the way he was raised, like it's just polite to be nice to people. I, it's it's hard not to let you know my prickly like bitter and kind of jaded coach person like (laughs) interfere with my relationships with people in the gym right but at the same time like you got i I totally hear you and at the same time though you kind of got to be like yo back off you know i know what i'm doing and and sometimes people just get up on you in 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 a way particularly as women in the in, in the world in a way that they may not even like they that's just the way life was for them and they had felt like they could do that to other people or I, you know, I, just for an example, I'm in, uh, in a, a restaurant at the, the bar, me and a companion, we're about to sit down at the, at the bar and we asked a, an older gentleman to move over one seat so we could sit together. And he said, okay, I moved over. And then he, as I was sliding into the seat, he leaned in right into my ear and said something. I was like confused, couldn't figure out what he was saying. And then I realized he was like, well, when you decide to buy me a, dr- a glass of wine for moving over, you know, here's uh, what I'm drinking. And like, I just did the normal thing that we're all used to as women. You know, what do you do? You just turn your shoulder and ignore because that's what, you know, you've, you're yeah. used to putting up with things. And I did that. And then something in my head said, no, no more. And I turned back. And I know my companion had to be like, oh, no, what's about to happen? Oh, this is about to get ugly. (laughs) And I just turned back and I just, you know, had a big smile on my face. I said to him, I I think I must have heard you wrong because there's no way that you could have been rude enough to, you know, ask me, tell me the glass of wine that you're drinking so that I was because I thought I should be obligated to buy you something because we asked you to move over one seat. You know, and then he said, oh, well, I was being funny and you didn't laugh, so you're rude. And I was just like, okay, I just want to make sure, you know, but, it, and, you know, I turned back around and uh, the funny thing was the guy on the other side of my companion, 
he was young and lovely and was like, hey, you know, I would have given you my seat. And he was fantastic. So right there, the example of two different kinds of humanity right there, one person expecting obligation and the other just the sweetest dude you could ever meet. Yeah. So takes all kinds, as my mom would always say, takes all kinds. Yeah. And it's, it's such a difficult dance with that because some days like – some days I'm so much more like patient and tolerant and willing to, you know, sort of coach a person through like, you know, you have a different background from me. Um, and I, I find that thing that you're doing to be annoying or rude. Um, but maybe that's, you know, you were raised to think this is just the way that you treat women and the things that you do. I, I can't right. tell you how many times I've had to explain to men in the military, like, you know, I'm not trying to be a frigid bitch when I say no thanks when you offer to like carry my heavy stuff but when I'm wearing a uniform I'm a soldier and I I intentionally and specifically will not accept your help carrying my own bags in my uniform because to me it's important to project that I'm here to be a soldier if it's my husband out at the Carabas on a Friday night that's totally different you know what I mean right and and some days, you know, it's there's no perfect answer. Like some days, yeah, my shit's really flipping heavy. Thank you so much for offering. That's nice. Like my back is right. breaking because this is so heavy. And so that's, you know, just a reflection of my imperfect humanity. <laughs> like depending on the day you catch me, I'll either be like, no thanks, or like, sure, take my stuff. But right. it's, and because it's an imperfect and people, dance. Yeah. And, and and I try to remember that most people are uh doing the best they can. Yep, that's Most true. People are really trying to do the best they can. But I also try to remember that, you know, I, I'm going to act uh, uh, politely. I'm going to uh, assume the best, but I'm going to wear ass kicking boots at the same time mm -hmm. because sometimes you need that too. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you, um, I had a handful of questions really that I've been kind of jotting down through our chat, um, just as things popping in my head, but you know, just on that particular topic, um, it seems like, you know, a lot of your personality was probably to some extent shaped by your experience in the military. Yeah. And if you could, if you could provide some advice, any advice to, you know, female listeners out there right now with regard to, you know, facing those difficult things that sometimes it just, it feels like standard military bullshit. And sometimes it feels like sexism. And sometimes it's just, um, it's a perception thing. Like, you know, I could assume that that person meant something by a thing or they did or said, or I can assume that, you know, they're just a good person that has, that sees it differently than me. You know, if you could provide any piece of advice about like your personal experience from the military for women out there, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, not to put you I on will, the spot or anything. <laughs> I will say that that like I look back now at my military experience and I think, wow, like I had the ability to learn things that so many of my peer group did not. In working with a bunch of uh, uh, you know civilians now, sometimes I'm I'm a little frustrated by them because they can be very loosey goosey and they're very much like what and you know well you say to do that and I don't think we should do that so I'm not going to do that. I'm like your boss just told you to do that. Go do it. Like <laughs> you know you don't get to vote on this. You know. Yeah. And 
it, but at the same time, you know, but then there's wonderful qualities about them and that they don't have that, you know, they, they don't have that harder edge um, to them and they will carry things in the right hand, which is amazing because you know, I've gotten so used to not carrying anything in my right hand because I had to be so ready for that salute all the time. Yeah. But you know, and they'll, they'll carry umbrellas all the time, but uh, they are, um, I would say that the thing that I really enjoyed about the military that, that I find that if you're still in the military to really just sink into, and, and you know this already, but it's really just a wonderful thing, is that the uniform is the great equalizer. That it makes you, as long as you are doing your work, as long as you are performing, then, and you're wearing that uniform, you're my brother or sister. Like, that's an amazing quality. Uh, that in the military to a certain extent is a meritocracy in that if you're working hard, you can make your way through it. Mm -hmm. And sure, there are going to be a couple of times that you're going to kind of be odd person out because maybe it is because of your gender. I can remember one time in the military, I was uh, uh, supposed to lead a, uh, a group to a competition, to the Gunsmoke competition for our, our fighter uh, wing. And everyone had, had, told me I'm it, I'm the one who's gonna do it, and at the last second, all of a sudden they're like, no, it's not you, you're not gonna be having this special you know, group for three months that you're gonna lead into competition. I was like, how is that possible? They were like, the general uh, does not want a woman leading this. Damn. And I was like, man, you know, like that's the one, I, there's nothing I can do about that. But, you know, I mean, you, you pick yourself up and you go on, and that was the only time though, that yeah. that happened. And the rest of the time, everybody, a bunch of maintainers. I mean, this is, you know, 1992. Yeah. You know, and it's a bunch of maintainers. We're on the flight line and they didn't care. As long as you performed, then mm -hmm. you were a-okay in their book. And you just don't find that in the rest of, in the rest of life. You know, there are too many dividers. People find, oh, you look this way, you live this way, you are this way, you, you know, have this accent and it didn't matter. The military, you know, so, so even though it gets difficult, I would say really remember that that, um, that same thing that we found in CrossFit shared suffering that bound us. And that's the same thing we find in the gym that shared suffering um, you find that in the military too, like mm -hmm. that's shared suffering. That's an amazing bond. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to bring a group of people together, like an hour long PowerPoint training brief that makes all of you want to stab your eyeballs out with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most, most meetings I'm in, I, I, I say even today that I just want to flip the table and yell, this is all so much bullshit and walk out of the room. This meeting like, is horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. So you mentioned earlier the multi-university. Did I hear that right? What it, What are you up to now? What is that gig? So I am uh, the director of digital marketing strategy for a place called 1440 Multiversity. And what we are is it's a, a, a campus. It's a gorgeous, ridiculously gorgeous campus in uh, right outside of Santa Cruz. It's in a place called Scotts Valley. And it we have um, weekend and five day programs that people come and stay. It's an all inclusive place. And so you might come and have a weekend program on writing with 
some famous author like Elizabeth Gilbert or Cheryl Strait or whoever, or you might um, come and do a five-day course on leadership with a leadership expert or, you know, and then a lot of companies come in like Google and other companies and they have their retreats there. And so it's kind of based around um, mindfulness and meditation and, um, you know, building a, a better world and better generations to come. So That sounds like an amazing job. Do people come to you and say, I'm interested in attending, you know, a seminar like this? Or do they essentially, like, seek out your place as, as, you know, if I wanted, for example, if I wanted to host, you know, some kind of a retreat or meeting something for the Valkyrie Project, would I reach out to your company and say, you know, how do we book this? Or do you guys have, like, pre-caged stuff that you run? It's, it's all sorts of ways. So some okay. we, we program and we go out and we find these different programs to, to host. And sometimes they're just groups that contact us. And um, we also have a scholarship program. So sometimes people see programs that we are, are selling and then they contact us and say, I this is my story and I'd really like to um, be go to this program, but I, I can't afford it. And can you, you know, give me a scholarship? And, and we do that also. It's run by a, a, a couple, um, Scott and Joni Krenz, who uh, Scott was a Silicon Valley muckety-muck. <laughs> and then he retired uh, and opened, he and his wife Joni, opened 1440 just as a way to, to give back to the world and to do good in the world. And um when it was in the stages of being built, uh, that's when I found them. They found me, and uh, that's where that's where awesome. I am at. That's incredible. It seems like you're always on the forefront of everything. So you know, next time you see the next big thing, can you just give me a call? Because the rest of us are behind the power curve. <laughs> well, uh, and know. I only partially say that jokingly because I've been really surprised to see. I mean, maybe not so much surprised, just as like relieved to see things like mindfulness and more holistic health and just approach approaches to bringing people closer to what looks like health as opposed to you know throwing medication at people I think that um it goes really nicely hand in hand with sort of like the fitness revolution and the nutrition revolution or you know walking away from the diet trends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, or it's like low fat, no fat to, you know, you need all those animal products because those micronutrients fill all these gaps in your nutrition and eating ancestrally and understanding the, you know, gut brain connection and understanding that mindfulness has a chemical impact on your body. All of these things are bubbling up in a way right now that's really exciting. That's providing a lot more access to people um, or access for people. I think that just generally haven't really, looked at those options before. Oh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I mean, when we look at things like like mindfulness, you know, I, I meditate with my, uh, I, I like the apps. I like the Calm app. I like the Simply Being app. And, uh, you know, it, it used to be like you hear about meditation, you'd think like, well, what's that, you know? And do I have to have a special room? And now I have to change my wardrobe, you know? Like metal, <laughs> like, metal gongs and perfect silence. And- right. And, you Incense. know, I, medit- I meditate in the morning with my dog on my lap, you know, mm-hmm. and I use an app and and it and I make sure I tell my physical therapist about it because she's like, hey, the stress in your neck, you know, that we're trying to work on with your back and all this stuff. She's like, meditation, let's work on that to decrease that. Now we're going to try this, you know, and then do this. And I just bought that uh, Hyper Ice, uh, Hyper Volt 
percussion massager. Have you seen this thing? It's oh, like yes. Air dryer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like all these things that we try to take all, all of it, you know, the foam roller, everything else, and try to take care of ourselves in a way that makes so much more sense than being like, oh, I'm broken, I'll lay down here. No, I'm not interested in, in you know, I think I long ago wrote something about not being uh, a manifesto about not laying down in the, the field until I die. Like I'm too, you know, young for that. Let's go and yeah. we, we can be vital and healthy first all of our lives. It doesn't have to be that you're all of a sudden broken, spiritually, mentally, physically, and it's all tied together. Mm -hmm. In all of it is if you're not sleeping, then you, you got to get that right first. Oh my God. Like not to create this like really jarring segue in the middle of the conversation flow, but <laughs> holy shit, do we have a problem with sleep in the military, man. I cannot yeah. tell you how many people I have met that try and with a straight face say things to me like, oh, I operate better on four hours of sleep. Like, excuse my French, but no, the fuck you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. You probably don't know what it feels like to be well rested because you haven't ever done it. It's to me, it seems like this epidemic that could solve or at least work towards solving so many of the issues that we have, like with health and managing stress, you know, yeah. speaking specifically about like, the military and even first responder communities like get enough sleep that is i don't remember where i read it but i remember reading that sleep is the single biggest determining factor of performance like yeah i mean obviously it, you know an injury is it would be a different thing but like you know there's no amount of supplementing that you can do that can make up for a lack of sleep yeah. And, and I think that, you know, in the military course, what do we learn in officer training school? You learn to function without sleep. This is what they're trying to see. They're intentionally sleep depriving you to see how you can function and what will happen when you are totally about to lose it. But, you know, and, and some of it doesn't make sense. I can remember being in Saudi Arabia and uh, uh, after the Persian Gulf War and uh we have to generate jets on an exercise. We generate the jets. My crew chief uh, strings up his, his uh, portable hammock right there next to the jet and takes a nap. My kind of guy. I like right, it already. And, al <laughs> right, and along comes safety, and safety writes him up. And I'm like, oh what are you God. doing? And they're like, he's sleeping on duty. I go, do you understand? He stayed with his jet. He doesn't know when he will get a chance to sleep again. So this is how he survived during the war, and this is how he will thrive now. So if you're going to write, write up, that's fine. That's your job. But yeah. I don't give a, a flip, you know? Just he's right with his jet. Let him sleep. Yeah. I, I've had this idea for a little while because it, it's funny, too, because you, you can always rely on soldiers and Marines and airmen to come up with creative ways to sleep. In, in otherwise difficult situations. <laughs> yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've walked into another room to find my husband asleep in this really awkward ampersand slouchy position. Like, how is your back not killing? What are you doing? Get in the bed. But, um, cause he was an infantryman and you know, they can sleep anywhere. But uh -huh. 
I've had this idea for a while that, you know, anyone out there listening, you can have this idea for free because I don't have the time or capital to make it happen. However, we need like a napping house franchise on every military installation, (laughs) a place kind of like those nap places in the airport where you can just go grab 30 minutes on your lunch break because I've done that. I've like tried to escape to the remote corners of the installation I was stationed at because I just remember being exhausted and flying, mind you, like sleep deprived oh. to an extreme degree, but still having to fly because yeah. that's what everybody did. Um, and just being like disgruntled when I'm folded up in half in the back of my Mini Cooper and someone's, you know, goes hot on the range, like half a mile away. I'm like, well, <laughs> there goes my nap. Oh, man, somebody do it. Yeah. Start the napping center, please. Well, I can remember being on on the island of Kadena and watching uh watching all uh, so many of the Okinawans took their nap right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's uh, you know it's twelve twelve thirty taking my nap half an hour. That whole culture just does it so much better in terms of like health. I think well, that's why they live forever. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's there's some cultural things that I I wonder about, but um, in terms of like just you know healthy habits, I think they got it nailed down. So the other thing I wanted to ask about, Ms. Lisbeth, was um, what are you working on now in terms of books and the blog? I know that you came out with a book. I feel like it was earlier this year, right? Yes. Um, yeah. What's the, what's the current project and how's that going? Yeah. So what I am working on right now, I've been so uh, busy being uh, this director of digital marketing strategy. So that's taken up a, a, a great deal of my time. But. Uh, what I'm, I'm fascinated by is uh, uh, expanding more of my strong starts in the mind uh, uh, line of things because I really do think that that's key to it all. And one of the books that I want to produce, uh, because uh, Toni Morrison long ago, the author long ago, said that if you can't find the book that you want to read, you must write it. And that's how I've made every single book that I've created is because I've gone through through bookstores, through Amazon, through everything. I can't find what I want. Even when I made the coloring book that I made, functional fitness coloring book, I made that because I wanted to color barbells and med balls and kettlebells, and there were no (laughs) coloring books that had these things. So Yeah, gym bunny for life. I love it. Yeah, and so I was, uh, in fact, my my son was in uh, at Vassar College at the time, and I called him up and I said, listen, uh, if I give you pictures. Can you convert them of people working out? Can you convert them into uh, coloring pages? And he was like, oh, will you buy me a tablet? I was like, yeah. And so he did that on his Christmas break. He sat there and painstakingly converted them all into coloring pages. That's really cool. Uh, So every book that I do is, is that's how I, I put it together. And so lately I've been searching for something that I'm starting to refer to as the, the strong starts in the mind Bible, because I really like this idea of, like I spoke earlier about, you know, seeing that woman in the kitchen at at five in the the morning. Uh, And I really uh, like a book that I read every day. So I read something called, uh, I think it's called the language of letting go. And it's uh, written by Melody Beattie, who I think she wrote books on codependency. But this book in particular, I read a piece of, probably for the last four years. Every day I've read, read the entry for it. It's just good basic reminders. 
And that's really what I want to assemble is something that you could pick up and open up for that day. Okay, so here's my short take on it, some short thought on it. And then it relates to a longer post somewhere that's located somewhere else. Maybe it's online, you know, but there's something that it's a giveaway in each day, whether it's about resilience, whether it's about perseverance, whether it's about showing up every day, there's one thought that you can just go, okay, it takes me, you know, 15, 30 seconds to read it. I got my hit. It's in my head. Now I can think about that while I'm going to my workout, while I'm moving through my day, and it'll come back to me during that day some somehow. And that's what I'm looking to work on next because I, I can't find what I want. And so I got to write it. That's really compelling advice. Um, I've been dabbling in writing and, you know, it, sometimes it takes a form of a blog post, but uh, I actually, a couple years ago, I started a fictional novel and got through like seven chapters and I just keep getting busy and like not finishing it. But now that you've said that, it struck me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, I wrote this book because, or started writing it because it's exactly the kind of story that I would want to read. And there you go. I I tire of buying books on Amazon that get to my house and I'm like, uh, this is the one I was looking for. Yeah. That's that's compelling. and writing a novel is tough. I describe writing a novel because I wrote two novels long ago in my, in my 20s that I never published, but uh, right after I got out of the military. Writing a novel is so tough. I count it as one of the two hardest things I've ever done in my life. The other was investigating aircraft crashes. That uh, Those two things, man. the hardest things. Novel hard because it was uh, there are no rules. No matter what you read up, nobody really knows any rules for it. And because you have to have those characters live in your head, and that's really a weird, weird thing to have go on. Um, and when you think about it, Toni Morrison, before she wrote her, her greatest novel, Beloved, she had the characters live in her head for three years before she wrote one word. She washed her dishes every night with them in her head talking. Um, you know, like, and then, so novel writing, ridiculously hard. And... Uh, investigating aircraft crashes ridiculously hard to to stand there and you know it's just rubble as far as you can see and to figure out and put it back together what happened and why it happened uh, just incredibly that was part of your job Yes. Uh, wow. So I was, um, uh, it was in the Air Force, it's called a, it's an extra assignment, oh, okay. uh, special duty. And so um, one day I remember walking into, I'd gone to a crash school and um, one day I was walking through my unit and people looked at me all of a sudden like I was a ghost and I was like, whoa. And they were like, go see the safety officer. And they said there's been a double fatality and F-15E has gone down and outside of Vegas and um, you're the one and you need to, you know, pack up your bags and get out as soon as you can and, uh, you know, come back when you're done. Wow. Um, you know, it took a, a month or five weeks and, you know, you try to figure it all out. But uh, it's a very, you know, it's a very difficult process and every morning I would wake up and before I opened my eyes, I'd be like, maybe I'm somewhere else, somewhere else. Ugh. You know, I'm in North Carolina. I'm back in North Carolina, yeah. you know, and I'd open my eyes and be like, nope, you're here. Go back out there. Figure out, try to figure out what happened. I feel like that would be difficult on a number of levels, not just because, you know, you're having to be Sherlock Holmes and kind of 
you know, reassemble the picture of what actually happened. But in addition to that, understanding that whatever findings and recommendations that you make, you know, they have an impact on right. how people essentially like that shapes aviation safety and it shapes exactly. perceptions that people have of the deceased pilots after it happens, because it's, it's so important yeah. to have a crystal clear understanding of what did happen. So it can be avoided later and that can be tough. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and there I am out there in, in investigating, it was a new aircraft at the time. So it was a very, uh, it was a political hot spot mm. um, because, you know, the aircraft manufacturer didn't want it to be anything with them. You know, everybody was playing keep away. No, it's not us. No, it's not us. And, uh, you know, in the Air Force, you know, that's a political hot, hot body also. And, uh, you know, and meanwhile, I had three squadrons of pilots back at my home base saying, tell us what it is so that we don't make that mistake. You know, what is it? What do we do? You know, tell us. You know, and, and it, it, you know, it ended up being one of those things where I just called back and said, you know, if you, you end up in a flat spin and you hit 10,000 feet and, you know, you know you're supposed to punch out at 10,000 feet. Do it. But, you know, don't don't hesitate. You know, you even if you yeah. think I can save this, I can do this, don't get out at your, at your, your ground where you're supposed to get out and get out then because you can't save it. Yeah. You know. And that's a hard thing, right? Cuz we we get used to being, you know, I can save this, I can do this, you know, and sometimes you got to be like, yeah, no. You got to walk yeah. away from it. Well, and thankfully I never had a scenario like that in the helicopter, but there were moments in training, you know, because they have to train you to find your way out of those particular scenarios mm -hmm. where, you know, everything in your instinct is telling you to do something different than what you've been trained to do. It's like your, you know, your visceral, visceral animal instinct is fighting against the steps that you know are appropriate, just literally based on how you feel, you know, with the controls and everything. So yeah, it's it's a hard thing to do. But yeah, then every every time I've seen, for the most part, you know, I've seen like menial investigations in the army, and they're and they're usually pretty hilarious. Like, how did Private so and so, you know? lose their sensitive item in the woods in the middle of the night. It's like, well, his battery headlamp battery hilariously went off and then someone called him back to the tent. And it's just like, really, I have to spend three weeks of my life investigating this. It's gone. That thing is gone. Let's move on. So if, um, if the listeners would like to become more engaged with, you know, with the projects that you've got going on or to explore some of, the work that you've published already, where should we point them? Where should they go look for everything Lisbeth? The, the place to go to is wordswithlisbeth.com. Wordswithlisbeth.com. That's, that's the one. That's where you can find the, the, all of the blog posts. And if you use the handy little uh, uh, search at the bottom and put in, like, for example, mindset, I did this a couple of months ago and I was amazed that I had like 330 articles on mindset. I was like, whoa, like, you know, <laughs> I didn't even remember writing all of that. So much material. Uh, That's great. I could write a, another 100 right now because there's so many things. Our minds are fascinating and there are so many ways that they can grow stronger. Um, and it's just little by little again, little by little. Uh, but wordswithlisbeth.com has, it's got my, my, books are on there. My social media is on there. Everything's on there. Excellent. One last question for you before we wrap it up for this evening. 
What are you reading right now that we should be reading? Ooh, I'm reading um, Life. Uh, uh, it's called uh, Principles by Ray Dalio, D-A-L-I-O. He is the founder of Bridgewater, um, which is like the most world's most successful hedge fund. And he has assembled this book that uh, a lot of it, some of it's leadership. Some of it is about working on teams. Um, it's about principles for your life and your work. And uh, some of it I like a lot. Some of it, uh, it's a little too dry. But it's really um, great in terms of, he'll say things like, you know, you can, don't try to rehabilitate people. You can train them and you can guardrail them. Um, but you can't, you know, fundamentally change people uh, in ways and work that, that you think you can. That's your own ego talking. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm reading that right now. I read a couple of different things. One of the most interesting things I've been reading recently is um, uh, called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And he basically uh, makes an argument for having those long periods, uh, maybe at the end of each day or uh, during your workday where you find that you can turn off your devices and or uh, even if you're working on the computer, just don't pay attention to other things and go deep into that work and how your brain rewards itself and longer attention span. Hmm. So sort of like the dopamine fasting that we're hearing about coming out of Silicon Valley, but in a different, in a different way. Um, you know, Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Now I have one question for you though. Yes, we ask this question at the end of every interview that uh, I conduct at work when I'm trying to hire someone. Oh, this is so, fun. so let me ask you this one. Um, you're on uh, and now this is, it's not a real battlefield like we would be talking about, but a hypothetical battlefield and you can uh, face either one giant or 12 angry rabbits? Which do you pick and why? One giant or 12 angry rabbits? Um, my immediate answer is the giant for sure. Because, you know, I have to assume he's a humanoid and he can potentially be reasoned with or be <laughs> friends made with. Um, and perhaps he'll help me squish the rabbits and then we can like cook them over a spit later. <laughs> okay. The rabbits sound like they might be rabid and I'm just not ready for that. I'm, I'm not prepared to deal with that. Is that the right, right answer? Is there a right answer? There is no right answer. Okay. The reason that I always ask this is that, um, uh, it was actually asked me first by, by a designer that I was interviewing. And, uh, but I love this question because in digital marketing and in digital media, um, I want people who want the 12 angry rabbits because that's a lot of times what we're dealing with on social media and other places are 12 angry rabbits. Um, and so you have to kind of knock one rabbit off a couple rabbits at a time. And I always figure that if I get three rabbits, then three rabbits will be scared and they'll run off. So then I really have fewer rabbits and that, you know, I can deal with all of those little things going on. But when I hire designers, uh, they like the one project to work on. They focus and they go deep on it. 
Um, so it makes sense, but it's just kind of fun to see how people, you know, react to that. And, and you'll find that you'll be like thinking about it later and be like, oh, well, maybe if the rabbits did this. <laughs> well, my immediate compulsion is to ask more questions like, what kind of weapons do I have? Do I have backup? Right? Do I have snipers? <laughs> Who's in the sky right now? <laughs> All of these things matter. Call in the snipers. Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it has been quite a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Oh, thank you so much. This has been a blast and, and, uh, you know, good luck. And uh, I'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shout outs, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as ValkyrieProjectUS. So be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can. Thanks for listening.